0: Hello and welcome again to another episode of APT Untold, where we explore some of the stories behind the people of APT. Today's guest is Scott Rontree. Scott has recently been appointed the VP of Global Business Development, where he will lead the business development approach to expand APT Australia's domestic and global market to meet APT's five-year goals. In our discussion today, we talk about his time as a management consultant, how and why he got involved in international development, and the future of the sector in general. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott Roentree.
1: So I'm Scott Roanetree, I'm the Vice President for Global Business Development. And my role is focused on helping the company to grow through uh, the Australian subsidiary. And also I play a role on the Timor-Leste Partnership for Human Development Program as Contractor Representative. So how did you first get involved in international development? Uh, it's a interesting question. So I was working in Sydney as a management consultant and I'd done around five years of working in that area and it was really interesting when I first started. So I graduated in economics, political science and Japanese actually as a Japanese language major and um and so I was using that economics background to, uh, to work as a, as a management consultant in Sydney and had a really interesting initial couple of years, basically diagnosing um, issues within companies that were affecting their performance, ultimately to their bottom line. So I was working in companies for periods of up to around six weeks, like you know, BHP, Telstra, uh, Boral, so you, you'd go in and just get a feel for how the entire business was going? So was, that's right. So I was a part of a team of, it ranged in size, but from four people uh, ranging up to about eight. And we'd go in and, and do a review of uh, often involving um, process and uh, and performance. Um, you know, So it would vary depending on what the nature of the business was, but often you'd be looking for um, bottlenecks in process or... Lack of clarity around roles and responsibilities, or uh, breakdown in communication between different areas of the business, Um, and so really, the it was it was an interesting job because you'd have to. I was a junior Mm -hmm. member of the team, so I'd often be sent out on, you know, the factory floor or the or the or the the, you know the the um, the office floor, and be looking for things that I wasn't sure. Exactly what I was looking for initially. When I first started that sort of job, I uh, wasn't really sure what I was looking for, but over time, became better at identifying where um, you know performance issues lay in, in companies. And so I was tasked with getting evidence to back whatever it was that we were finding to be included in um, you know a report back to the executive that my boss would make. And uh, and so that was that was great for a couple of years while. I'm sure yeah, you we know, learned a awesome.
0: lot. Going into all these different companies, seeing how they operate, and yeah, it was awesome. identifying yeah. ways that they could improve. And no, it
1: was fantastic, and uh, and I had a you know for a large quite a lot of those jobs we had a a guy from out of New York who was a, a sort of a, a guy in his late fifties, uh, from Texas originally, uh, an engineer who'd worked for a whole range of blue chip companies, and so he was he was my my mentor uh, in that in that role, and uh, and he taught me a lot about um, you know. Uh, the analysis of business basically it was, so it was fantastic but but after around about four years I started to get tired of like you know I think you start to work out what the formula is and it doesn't get and it becomes quite easy to identify where performance issues lie in, in different organizations and just and, out of
0: curiosity what um, are the things that you do that you would, that you would look at I said standouts
1: so you know like a key issue was when You'd have two different parts of a company around, say, operations, and another one around sales and marketing, uh, and where those the, the leaders of each of those respective areas, um, you know, where there's a, there's some sort of uh, misalignment due to communications issues or relationship issues, or um, or the, or how they perceive their roles or their experience background and their influence with the CEO, and that was that was a, a, a you know, regardless of the business, that was often a cause of um, you know, um, a business um, uh, underperformance. So that was that was an interesting one. But another one, you know, often there'd be um, there'd be breakdowns in the, in a, in a process chain. Whether it's working in a in a banking environment or whether it's working in a in a manufacturing environment, uh, if you don't have um, you know clarity in particular around people's roles and responsibilities and their 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 particular role in that process and uh, then you can have bottlenecks or you can have issues where your, the resources that are inputs to that process don't get there on time and so you have idle time uh, or you could have you know, one of the jobs that we did, we had their major customer, a big uh, supermarket chain in Australia. Uh, they, this particular company was its, um, like its, its prime supplier of, of a certain good, uh, which is a prominent good and then a household brand name. And, uh, and it was having trouble um, stocking consistently to the, to the supermarket chain. And it came down to basically a fight between the, uh, the, the brand manager with the supermarket, like the, the guy who worked for this company who had the relationship with the supermarket and the production manager. Uh, and uh, it was about whether it was a push or pull um, process that supplied the supermarket and they weren't agreed on, on what it should be. Uh, and it had all of these ramifications for actually how the uh how the production chain produced on time uh, yeah. right back to the suppliers to that particular business so you know and that can be applied to a whole range of different settings whether you're talking about delivering services in a banking setting to clients whether you're talking about you know pit production at a mine uh and uh, again and, and actually sorry just on the mining side of things it was um the detailed level of planning that goes into uh, a mine is is very interesting, and if you don't have the guys who are operating the equipment out at the coal phase uh, in a trusted and and clear communication um, protocol with the guys who are doing the plans, and there's and there's back and forth between those two sets, then, Um, if things go wrong then the miners who are operating the equipment will blame the engineers who did the plan and the engineers who did the plan or blame the the machine operators who operate the equipment so you know and you can take that to a whole range of settings as an analogy and and that's actually because I did a couple of mining jobs um, one of them in Indonesia actually that was my first work in Indonesia before I got into development but uh, you can take that analogy in some ways, that that was a useful analogy for me in looking at what was designed in international development and what was implemented. And when I first got in as a 30-year-old, I was really surprised that a people couldn't tell me whether um, a program had achieved its objectives or not, its development outcomes. And b in some cases, where they were where in the rare case where they could, um, people couldn't tell the funder or the recipients of the aid. What the what the uh, the contributing factors were to, or, or inhibiting factors were to actually achieving the objectives or not. So, you know, I was taking a business mindset into a development context, and I was amazed at how, I guess, how unaccountable it was in terms of you know all of these millions of dollars being put into designs um, for programs that ultimately often you couldn't tell whether you actually achieved your outcomes and even if you did or you didn't, you couldn't tell whether it was because the design was poor or the implementation was poor or a mixture of both. And, that, and that's that's right till today, that's that's driven my interest in international development around that question of um, you know, is your design right? Is your implementation right? Um, and did you achieve the outcomes of what you intended to achieve when you first set out?
0: Uh, so um, how did you get involved in that? What, what brought you to Apt? What's, what's the story behind um you joined the company. Uh, well,
1: I was working for initially for AusAid in Jakarta in the Jakarta embassy uh, and the Australian embassy in Jakarta, and then uh, and then DFAT because AusAid was rolled into DFAT. So I was there for three years, and I was it was time. You know, I was up there with my family, and it was time to come back to Australia. So we we're looking at what the options were, and uh, and and it happened that um, APT was doing a. a Was working as a as a subcontractor or subsidiary on or subcontractor on the mumpu project a women's empowerment project to another contractor up there and so i had a little bit to do with uh with that jta as it was at that time uh from the client side and so i became aware of the fact that you know that that uh that jta was now part of this broader um broader company and i was interested in the capabilities of that company and and um, and so uh, yeah, Jane uh, had a conversation with Jane up in Jakarta at one point, and she um, became aware that, that I was leaving uh, six months down the track, leaving my embassy role. so, uh, so then um, I applied for a job here and, and in Brisbane and got it. Uh,
0: so how do you see international development changing in the near future?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's it's becoming, I mean, the trend is definitely, Towards uh, you know interaction with uh, with with the private sector, um, you know uh, also I think um, becoming more uh, iterative in the way that programs are implemented. So um, less deterministic, less linear. Uh, in in the past, you might have had a program say 15 years ago that was designed to almost operate in you know virtual isolation in delivering its outcomes. But I think over time there's been a greater awareness of the political context that you're operating in in the countries that you're delivering in uh, and 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 harnessing you know the uh, the agendas or the trends and and identifying local stakeholders who who are aligned with the objectives you're trying to achieve so becoming a lot more um, attuned to the local context and delivering in a way that fits with that local context and recognizing that uh, you know that actually you're uh, a contributor to um, the objectives of, um, of local leaders and, and local influencers and stakeholders, uh, rather than being something that's sort of supply-driven, which is, I think, more mm-hmm. how the bilateral projects were designed and delivered in the past. So, which I think is an encouraging mm-hmm. uh, sign. And over time, uh, you know, going forward, I, I expect to see more integration into, you know, the efforts of, um, of, of business uh, internationally and locally. Uh, and of other stakeholders that can actually, you know, where where aid can can uh, or international development can uh, can be a contributor from the perspective of you know how can we use the funding and and the, and the natural attributes of um, the uh, the Australian government working in an embassy context to um, to add value to whatever the uh, you know the objectives are that the program is trying to achieve. So. It's actually, I think, become more integrated into um, the environment that, and the local context in which we're operating. Generally speaking, development is is moving in that direction, and and I think should lead to more sustainable outcomes because it's it's, it's planned from the beginning of a of a program.
0: What are some major challenges that you see in uh, the industry, and uh, what are some things that you're excited about uh, as well?
1: Um, uh, I'd say major challenges. Um, are also where your opportunities lie. Uh, I think the major challenges are around you know the rapidly changing international context because we work in that context, we're we're, we're partners in that context. Um, that's that's where our our work lies. Um, so you know the fact that um, governments around the world are. And we've seen it recently over the last six to 12 months, and even you know we're speaking on the eve of, we're speaking on the in the wake of the U.S. election right now, uh, and you know you're seeing a move towards both with Brexit and the U.S. election and other um, developments around the globe. You're seeing a, a move towards greater protectionism, uh, less movement of people, um, sovereign governments exercising their authority uh, in terms of their right to um, restrict movement across their borders. Um, that's happening right now in Europe, and Trump just got up as uh, president-elect on the back of a promise to uh, Americans that he would also restrict border move- movement across borders, particularly the southern border with Mexico. So this is a mandate that's being um, has been pursued um, across the whole, you know, not not just in one country but globally, uh, and I think it's going to have an impact on the way that we that we do business because. Um, Ultimately, we implement programs for these governments, uh, and the nature of the programs that we implement will be influenced by the mandate on which these governments are elected. Mm-hmm.
0: So, is there anything in about the in the <clears throat> is there anything about the near future uh, in the context of international development uh, that you're excited about? Could be new technologies to implement. You know, as you said, the the uh, prevalence of the internet now and how it's quite accessible. It could be mobile phone technologies.
1: Um, is there anything in particular yeah, that's I, th- I think, um, you know, in the same way that the internet's taken about 15 years to really start to deliver on its promise of improved services and improved connectivity, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about that in the lead-up to the first, uh, um, you know, the first uh, dot-com boom and bust in 2000. In the 90s, there was a lot of talk about how... Uh, how the internet was going to deliver in terms of, um, you know, changing businesses and so forth. It took till the late sort of 2007, 8, 9 for that to start to really happen. Uh, you know, we, we didn't see the advent of, um, of of Uber until, you know, sort of five or even less, within the last five years. Uh, we still haven't seen the game change in, in finance in terms of people being able to actually take a loan from uh, another um, entity outside of the Australian regulatory system, but it's starting to happen now. Um, you know, Airbnb was has only been around for about six or seven years. Um, so all of this stuff has been happening in the last, sort of, within the last ten years where the internet started to live on its price. I think there's a, a parallel there with what's going on in, um, you know, with mobile phone technology being available throughout places like Indonesia uh, in particular smartphones because it just gives you so much more reach with the app functionality uh, and I think that you know that there's a real opportunity there in the same way there's a lag time involved in actually then utilizing that technology in a way that benefits people so that's what I think is quite exciting that you know that, that the technology is there now mm. in remote places uh, in, in areas where people need improved service delivery mm. but actually it's still not delivering yet mm. um, you know that that Promise on improved service and connectivity, Uh, but that's I think what's exciting is that you know we can help in in fostering that. All
0: right, well, I think we'll
1: wrap it up there. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Well, thanks again to Scott for taking the time to have a chat and congratulations again on becoming VP of Global Business Development. If any of you have any feedback or if there are some questions that you'd like to ask your colleagues, please get in touch. Thanks again.